Wow. Uh, why do I have to be the one to get up after that? <laughs> Honestly. Um, yeah, sorry. It's just something like, uh, I don't know what to say. For once, you're all very relieved. But it's like, it's like Youth Leader Honesty Day. And, and Rees right. sometimes I stand there on a Friday night and with my 36 and a half year old ears just screaming at me. And I'm like, why can't we turn the volume down and turn the lights on and just sit around and drink coffee and just, I don't know, chat about things? Why does it always have to be so loud and full of people screaming and jumping around? And, and, uh, and then you see this, you know, and this is what we see every Friday night. And we had a sleepover this weekend and, you know, running on four hours sleep Saturday, there's so many things going through my mind. And then you hear... A group of young people just stand there and without any music, just sing about their love for God. You think, oh, maybe I'll do this for one more week. <laughs> See what happens. But it's, it's just incredible. And um, what we love about wildfire is we don't call ourselves a youth group anymore. Because the youth group's about what coming together and about what we can get from it, but, but we see a, a generation of young people rising that are contributors and not consumers. And so we call ourselves a youth movement because we, wa- we don't want to be people who just get together for the sake of getting together on a Friday night, but we have this incredible, amazing, inspiring group of young people uh, who are defying the label of being the selfie generation and, and refusing to let that be the thing that their generation is remembered for and are becoming the selfless generation. Like honestly, on Friday night, Simeon Price and Elise Simpson preached and uh, I am unworthy. <laughs> Elise said this thing. I mean, they both said stuff incredible, but she said she wants to be part of the generation that leads her own generation. And that's what we're seeing happening at Wildfire, this great group of young people who are refusing to be all about taking the photo of themselves. And they still do that. We still get all the selfie photos, but they're selfless in their commitment to lead their own generation, not looking to a group of young adults, which I like to put my name in, as a young adult, and, and saying that, you know, you lead us and you show us, but they're actually rising up and saying, we're going to lead our own generation. We're not going to be the selfie generation, but let's move on for that for the moment because I still can't handle it. Um, we're currently working through a series at the moment in church, which is awesome. Everyday people with Jesus, the lessons that we learn from the people who physically and literally got to spend every day with Jesus when he was on earth. We're going to continue to look at that this morning. Actually, firstly, Jackson, come on. I, I am actually relieved that I am already married because the bar that these guys are setting with drones and fancy things and making their own rings, like you guys are, like the, the problem I have is my son Carter wants to grow his hair long and he's currently today running around with his hair in a ponytail Thanks to guys like Luke, Jack, and Caleb that he just adores and want to be after. I'm going to have to tell this guy, mate, you need to start making your own diamond. <laughs> Not just make your own ring. You need to start getting with it now. And uh, you know, I thought my proposal was good. It was, it was good at the time. It did the job, but um, 
It worked, yeah. It worked. It worked. All right. I'm focused now. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. This is an incredible little scripture that, that I really love. It says, now when we see, now we see things imperfectly, imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then on the day that we are with God, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then when, are we, when we are with God, I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. The message translation says, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. I love this little scripture that we can pull out of the chapter of love that just reminds us that what we see in everything that we do in our day-to-day, in our worlds, in our everyday is not always the reality that we can completely understand. This scripture reminds us that the ways of God and the way that He operates, we, we don't even have the capacity of in our created brain to understand the full brain of God. It's like we're peering through a mist, like a fog, having to squint to try and understand the way that God has orchestrated and continues to orchestrate the world that we live in. There's something that, that this says the spiritual realm that we read about and we know about, but there is this difference in the world and the way things happen that we don't even have the capacity to understand. We just have to trust in God. I think about it like this, to someone who does not know the truth, we would look at circumstances or they would look at circumstances and opportunities and situations that come in their life and they would call them coincidences. Wow, isn't that a coincidence that I ran into that person? Isn't that a coincidence that that opportunity presented itself? But as believers, as those who know the truth and realize that there is something that we don't understand and we just have to trust God in, we can realize that there is a world that we walk in every day that is full of intention, that there's intentionality to the way that God orchestrates every day and our destiny and all those things, those opportunities that we have. This made really clear sense to me a few years ago when a movie came out called The Adjustment Bureau. And it's about these guys who are supernatural beings and they wear baller caps and nice suits and they run through doorways and just watch it, it'll make more sense. But the whole idea of these guys is that they have these books that look like ancient iPads that have these, like they open them up and they're like all circuits running around. And what they're doing is they're mapping people's destinies, looking at who they're meant to be, where they're supposed to be. And obviously in life, things come up, they miss red lights, they run into people, they spill coffee on themselves and have to change their shirt and, and, that, and, and all the timing's out. So the Adjustment Bureau stand on the sidelines of life and they adjust connections and opportunities to make sure that people get back into the path that they were meant to go. It's an interesting movie, but I believe that it's the same way that God works with us, that every day he adjusts us to give us opportunities and encounters with people and with things in our life that so many would say, wow, that's a coincidence that I ran into you. I was just thinking about you. But if we believe and understand that God has intention in everything that we do, then we don't see a coincidence. We see a plan of God to be in the right place at the right time. It says, Psalm 
37 verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. This is an old song. Does anyone remember that? Do you want me to sing it? No? Psalm 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Without God, we can call it coincidence. With God, we have to believe in intentionality in every step that we take. Because our path, everything that we do, is ordered by the Lord. And he delights in that way. Now, what would bring him delight? Well, obviously, it would have to be obedience to what he says. It would have to be doing what he has instructed us to do. Mark 12, Jesus is confronted by the religious people of the day, the church attenders of the day. With the question of what is the greatest commandment, and he responds and says in verse 30, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Hang on. So we can love God. We get that part. Love God. Have no other gods before him. Have him as the greatest priority in our life. But it tells us, and I I think I have read this so many times that I didn't notice that it said the word equally. Do you know when you look at the Greek word what it means? It means equally. It means the same as. There's nothing too complicated about this. It says that we must love our neighbor as well. I've got good neighbors, that's all right. But it tells us the greatest commandment is in two parts. Love God, love others, love your neighbor. We, we can't have one without the other. If we want to take delight in the Lord with the steps that we take, it's quite simple, love God. But equally as important, it's a little bit hard to swallow, equally as important, love your neighbor. Now, I did look at the Greek word for neighbor, and it does have an interesting meaning. It has two definitions. Number one, the word neighbor means friend. I think we can handle that one. I think we can handle loving and serving our friends like Jesus did, can't we? Yeah, they're good people. Second part of the definition says, and anyone else. Right, you got us there. Because we can love our friends and that's fine. But if we want to truly fulfill that which delights in God, we have to love part two, and anyone else. So that means the person that you don't like, you still got to love them. The person that's different, still got to love them. The person who wronged you, robbed you, hurt you, broke you, still got to love them, part two, and anyone else. Unfortunately, but fortunately for them, they qualify. There is no one in this world that does not fit into the category of love your neighbor. They're either someone that you already love, or there's somebody that you may have other feelings for, but God says, take delight in, you, I want to take delight in the ways that you walk. Love me. Love everyone in this world. No matter their view, no matter where they come from, no matter what they have done to us, whether we've never encountered them before, 
in our life. We've got to love them. Would not the greatest example of serving and sacrifice and loving others then be Jesus? And so it's quite fortunate that at this time in our church, we're looking at a series on walking every day with Jesus. And so we're going to look at how he loved and how he served the people, his neighbors, every day. There's a record in the book of John 13 where Jesus demonstrates this perfectly to us. And I believe it encapsulates the love for others and the all other people deal that we need to abide by. John 13 is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, no big deal. We've read it a thousand times. We've learned about it in Sunday school. Talk about it all the time when Jesus washed his feet. But it was a big deal. It was quite a significant thing in the culture of that day. Thankfully, it's not these days, because if you come to my house, you can just keep your shoes on if you've got smelly feet. I don't care. I'm not going to pull out the basin and wash them for you. Hang on. What am I preaching about? Maybe I should. But culturally, in that day and age, wearing open-toe shoes, walking in the filth and the muck that was all over the streets, let alone the dust and the mud if it had been raining, uh, your feet got pretty dirty. Your feet got pretty horrible. And it was a custom that when you entered somebody's house for a, a dinner party or something like that, that they would wash your feet for, them, for you. But the difference is that it was never the host that did it. It was never the person of significance or influence of the household. Apparently, it wouldn't have even been the servant because even they ranked too high to do this job. Pretty much, it would be the lowest person, the slave in that household who would have the joyful delight of washing the day's journey off people's feet so that they could rest comfortably over dinner. Something that was left for the slaves, the absolute lowest common denominator in society of that time was a person who would wash the feet of the guests. I think we already know this about what it demonstrates in what Christ showed for his friends, for his neighbors, even knowing how they would treat him, which we'll see. John 13 verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done with you. What an incredible example that we can look at in how do we fulfill our deal 
of loving our neighbor when Jesus demonstrates it so perfectly what it means here. And, and let, let's think about it. It wasn't, it, it was his friends, but he full well knew what Judas was about to do. He full well knew that Peter would deny him. He knew all of this. He didn't just wash 11 feet, 22 feet. Is that right? Yeah, math. <laughs> he washed them all, knowing everything that they had done and that they would do. So what are some things that we can learn from this example that might be relevant to us as we walk every day with Jesus, but every day like Jesus in our world that is full of intentionality, not coincidence of people and opportunities that we will encounter? How can we serve and we love them? Well, the first thing that, that I, I really felt to share is that it didn't change who Jesus was to do this. It didn't change him at all. Serving and loving had no effect on who he was and his position and his status. It didn't change him. Verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. He knew exactly who he was. In verse 13, he says to them afterwards, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's who I am. His willingness to serve others, his willingness to get up from the table and take on the role of the lowest slave in society did not change the fact neither before or after he did it that he was still king, that he was still teacher, that he was still Lord. So who are we? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that we were called out of darkness into this wonderful life. Isn't it easy to love this scripture, that we are the royal priesthood, we are the called people? Well, if we love this scripture, we have to love the example that Christ gave. Lord of all of the kingdom, the son of God. His example for those who are royalty is to wash the feet of those who loved him as well as those who were planning to kill him. In this church for the next generation at Wildfire, we call them, or we say that we are reborn for a purpose. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's masterpiece, we are his handiwork, and that we have been made anew in Christ Jesus to do the wonderful works that he planned for us long ago. And we believe and teach the next generation that salvation comes with a to-do list in serving and loving the generation that they are, they are a part of. When we, when they, serve and love and believe in intentionality in every step of their day and take the time to wash people's feet throughout their life, it does not change that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What it actually does is fulfill the purpose of why we have been saved, why we have been chosen, why we are a royal priesthood. Because our kingdom is upside down. The king takes on the lowest form. And that's the example that we have to follow. And we need to realize that serving and loving others does not change who we are. We will always be that. The second thing is Jesus saw proud hearts when he looked around the room. In Luke's 
record of the event, it informs us that an argument had broken out between the disciples about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Sitting around the table on the eve of the crucifixion, and Jesus looks around and hears and sees this argument breaking out. John's professing, well, I must be the greatest because, you know, I'm the beloved, I'm Jesus' favorite. And Peter's like, well, sit down, John, I'm the one that walked on water. Surely I am the greatest in the kingdom. Bartholomew pipes up and says, Peter, put a sock in it, mate, you sank. Matthew says, Bartholomew, who are you? No one's even going to remember that you are a disciple. It's true. Who remembers Bartholomew? Poor guy. And the whole time, Thomas is just sitting in the corner doubting them all. But Jesus looked around the room and what he saw was, yeah, dirty feet, but he saw proud hearts. He saw people on the eve of his crucifixion. And I wonder if the thing that occurred to him was, I've, oops, <laughs> I got one night to go and they've still kind of missed the point. Here we are, the, the final 12 sitting around and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I need to show them what the kingdom is really like. I need to show them what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who washes the feet of those who love him and those who are wanting to kill him. The Lord of all can take on the role of the lowliest slave, the lowest slave. And the example is there is nothing that we shouldn't do. Number three, he saw a need. Not only did he look around the room and he saw proud hearts, but he also saw dirty feet. He saw people who had collected the dust and the rock and the grime and the muck of kicking their feet around on difficult roads all day long. And he practically looked and saw a group of people that he knew he was to love and did love. And he saw that they had dirty feet. There was no great inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God the Father didn't send a couple of angels to remind Jesus. He didn't wait for the right time or the financial provision or something that was in his skill set to come up. He literally looked around the room and he saw people that he loved, his neighbors, sitting there with dirty feet. And he saw that he was available, he was capable, and he was willing to do something about it. He saw a need and he fixed it. It didn't need any great inspiration. He just saw dirty feet and knew how uncomfortable that would be and how much better it would be for their dinner party to be there in comfort. And he filled it. There's an amazing lady in this church that prays for Mel and I and our kids. And uh, quite often we'll, we'll get a letter from her with a, with a word from God. And, and late last year we got given one um, that said a lot of nice things and a, a lot of confirming things. But one last paragraph said that she felt God had told her that, that uh, God was going to send Mel and I on a holiday this year. And that um, he was going to provide for that. And uh, incredibly, a couple of weeks ago, we got given a holiday to Hong Kong for just Mel and I. So it was a double bonus. And uh, someone in Mel's family couldn't go. 
and so they gave us this holiday and and so we headed off two weeks ago and spent five days in Hong Kong and um, yeah it's incredible and so we flew over there and obviously feeling very blessed by what by seeing that God had given us this message late last year and feeling undeserved but blessed to be able to go and do it. And the first day we decided to go for a walk, we clocked up nearly 19 kilometres walking around Hong Kong in a day. And there was this opportunity, we were walking up this street and uh, I was the guide, so that's probably why we did 19 kilometres. Could have done it in six, but you know, it's not always the quickest way. We're walking up this hill that was like a street. You know the streets in Newcastle that you can barely walk up? I don't know what they're called. Terrible streets. And uh, we're walking up this one and it's not relevant to the story, but we got to the end and it was a dead end, so we had to walk back down it. But I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God directing the paths of the godly even when we're trying to enjoy five days on a holiday. And I saw this lady and she was pushing this garbage cart up a hill. Uh, up this hill, like, come on, it was a mountain, it wasn't a hill. And she's pushing this cart up, and there are dozens of people around. And we're not watching her do it, but we're around. And this lady would have had at least been in her 60s, and her job was, well, she didn't have a job, she was a scavenger, so she'd been around collecting and was pushing this cart home. And I thought, I'll, I'll go and help her push it up, push it up the street. I'm not telling you this because I want any recognition, but just to kind of show this point that I believe that serving and loving is just simplicity in our life. Like for all the times that we walked around that city in circles and the wrong turns we took, somehow we ended up on that street at that time. Somehow would be a coincidence, an opportunity that God presented would be intention by walking in godly steps. Now, I'm watching this lady and I'm thinking, I'm on a holiday. <laughs> Being honest, I've already walked a fair bit. I mean, I won't walk into a McDonald's in Hong Kong and touch the door without pulling out the hand sanitizer. I'm not going to jump over and push a garbage cart up the hill. But I thought, I am available and I'm capable I mean, I can push a cart up the hill, that's fine. I'm 36, this lady would have to be in her 60s. If she can do it, I can probably have a decent go at it. I mean, in, in terms of the general Hong Kong population, I'm classed as a giant. Honestly, I was the best in the train because I could see above everyone. Although I'm six foot three, I can have a go at pushing this cart up the hill. I'm relatively strong and fit I can at least enough to push this cart up the hill I didn't need an angel of the Lord to appear or to wait for some divine message from the Holy Spirit yep okay I'm going to go push the cart I just saw a need of a lady that was pushing a big cart up a hill and I thought I can do that now we're we're good in church at serving and loving people and we should do those things like go and do street safe and go, go and do missions trips. Those things are important. But I've got to believe that if I'm going to walk every day with Jesus, directed in godly paths every day, that I'm going to find myself in opportunities, 
not to invite someone to church, not to ask a lady to park her cart for a moment so I can tell her the gospel, but to simply just show love to a neighbor, part two, and anyone else, and help her push a cart up the hill, which costs me nothing. Just a few extra calories so I can eat a bigger plate of noodles that night, which I did. But it costs us nothing. Available, capable, we simply just need to be willing. Jesus taught us that serving, loving, pushing garbage carts doesn't change our status of who we are. There's no task that can be below any of us. And then when we see a need we can fulfill, we should just do it. He's already told us. In actual fact, John 15 verse 13, he said, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. I haven't checked, but I'm pretty sure friend is probably pretty general. Maybe a neighbor. He's already told us these are our standing orders to go and to do this. We don't need any divine inspiration or guidance or messages. So we can live our life believing in coincidence so we can believe the truth that there is an intentional direction for every encounter and opportunity that presents in our life. Two challenges to live every day with him that the team are handing out now for us as we go into this week and I'll get the band to come. Our challenge for this week is to have eyes to see and ears to hear and to begin every day with that prayer. Eyes to see is the practical. If you see a need and you can feel the need, then do it. Proverbs 2 verse 6 tells us that the Lord grants wisdom. In other words, common sense. If we see a need and we can fulfill it, then just do it. The outcome of that is showing love to a world that so desperately needs it. And a need can be holding the door open for somebody who's struggling to get a prayer in. Maybe it is shouting someone lunch. Maybe it's pushing a car that's broken down. That's what the need is. It's practical. It's using our common sense, our wisdom that God's already given us to see the need and to fulfill the need. And secondly, to have ears to hear. Galatians 5 verse 25 says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. For this week and beyond, can we have ears to hear what the Spirit might be guiding us to do? It might not be as obvious as holding a door open for someone, but it might be telling someone that you've been praying for them, sharing a verse with them. How do you know if the Spirit is leading you? Well, He tells us a couple of verses earlier, what the fruits will be. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're wondering if the Holy Spirit has prompted you, ask yourself, does it qualify for one of these pieces as fruit? If you're feeling that you need to go and encourage someone, well, is it going to bring joy in their life? Yes, then go and do it. The Holy Spirit has prompted you. You have had ears to hear. And in the end, we show love to a world that so desperately needs it. The currency that can break every broken 
hardened heart for the love of Christ is love. And we somehow became the people who got to represent God's love on earth by having eyes to see and having ears to hear. And that's our, that's our challenge for this week, to put on our fridge, to remind ourselves, to begin every day with a prayer. God, today I believe that your godly wisdom is going to guide my feet towards something that brings you delight. And all I want to ask is that I would have eyes to see that when it confronts me. Or that I would have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying when it isn't so obvious. Imagine a, a world, your world, your workplace, your school, your family, your sporting club, your running club, your Xbox Warcraft League or whatever your kids call it. Imagine living in there as God's outlet for love this week and beyond with eyes that understand that we can't see what God's doing, but we're just going to trust in Him and not our own understanding and have our ears open to what the Holy Spirit would prompt us. I want us, before we finish and before we sing, to have a time to respond to God about this. Why don't we stand to begin with?